the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rescuers radio show at faithtalk1360.com. And it airs every Thursday at 5.30 at faithtalk1360 or faithtalk1360.com. And I have a great guest here today. Uh, for this episode of Rescuers. His name is Rick Efford. It's actually Eford. Oh, it's Eford. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I knew I was going to stumble over that. Rick Eford is with Phoenix Seminary. And uh, and Rick, it's nice to have you on the show. Thanks, Art. It's great to be with you. You've actually been with Phoenix Seminary since it started, right, here in really? Phoenix? Yeah, I was a group, part of the group of pastors yeah. that did some brainstorming on what it would be like to to have a resident evangelical seminary here, and and it turned out to be Phoenix Seminary. So I want to walk through your history as, as a pastor. You've you've done right. so much here in the valley and and even out of state, but and uh, traveled internationally, done some things, some good uh, mission work, and so forth. But first of all, I just wanted our audience to figure out who you are. Let's do a little background on on Rick. I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version of that art. You know, I grew up in North Carolina. I'm thankful that uh, to be a Tar Heel, still am, even though I live in Arizona. Uh, and uh, my mom and dad were both believers. I came to faith early in life with them and never thought I'd be in pastoral ministry. But, you know, God brought me uh, to an awareness of himself. I went through a phase like many people do. Uh, where I had to figure out whether it's my parents' faith or mine. So mm. there's some times I drifted in the process, but went to a small Christian liberal arts college in Tennessee called Bryan College, and really for the first time in my life began to grow. I had peers that were serious about their faith in Christ. And nice. so I changed from going into a medical field to moving into uh, ministry. And um, that's a whole nother story. But um some of the influences I had led me to go to Dallas Seminary then, and so I moved from Tennessee, from North Carolina to Tennessee to Dallas, Texas, did four <laughs> years and a master's of theology degree there, and then I always thought I'd move closer to home, and God moved me twice as far away. <laughs> 1978, we came to Arizona. Uh, I took an associate role at Camelback Bible Church, and then eight and a half years later, became the senior pastor at Desert Springs Bible, and then um, after 40 years of pastoral ministry, God led me into, I, I resigned from that role, not to retire, but I resigned to invest more in younger leaders. As I say, people that will probably outlive me and whose ministry influence will go beyond what I could do. And so I started focusing, not knowing what it would look like on younger men and women in ministry. 
and then a position opened up at Phoenix Seminary to become their director of church partnerships. And that's what I do uh, now that full time. So, so partnership right. can mean a couple of different things. And one is revenue. Another one is programmatic, programmatic or, or what, what is it with the seminary? Well, the biggest thing with a partnership, and you're right, that can have a financial, like an investors are partners with us too. And we would love for churches and for individual Christians to to financially participate because we can't charge enough money to educate these students. <laughs> I mean, we have to subsidize that in some other ways. Yeah. But the bigger issue is is capital of a different nature, and that is uh, a seminary by its nature is more theoretical. It's more academic. There are certain specific things that you cannot learn without being in the the crucible, so to speak, of the ministry. And so we need pastors that are going to mentor and provide ministry opportunities in their churches. They're going to provide uh, facilities that that will speak well of the seminary to their constituency because our number one recruiting place is through pastors that know what we're doing and have confidence. Um, there are men and women in those churches that invest as mentors or also invest financially. All these are forms of partnership art. So Phoenix Seminary means Phoenix, the valley. Are you, what's the broad range of, of people coming to the seminary? Well, there, as we were talking before the show, there are people now because they're, because of faculty members like Wayne Grudem who have national and international notoriety through their writings. And then we have some younger faculty members that are growing in that area as well. And so the, the, the name of Phoenix Seminary is becoming more well-known. The reputation is going beyond the valley. Um, we're a young seminary. We've only been around 32 years. Mm. But for the most part, students are coming from Phoenix, from Arizona, but we are starting to see more come from other places and relocate here. And that's a part of the overall vision. In the beginning, we had a problem. I mean, I say we, the pastors that really got together to brainstorm this thing, to think tank <laughs> it, so to speak, yeah. uh, to talk about that vision. We just had a problem with seeing our best and brightest leave the valley to go other places around the country to get their seminary education. Mm -hmm. I mean, at that point, we were the seventh largest city in the nation, yeah. and we didn't have an evangelical resident seminary. And so um, it's just been gratifying to see that become a reality. And now we're beginning to expand. Actually, we've had some meetings in the last two months, three months, uh, to try to expand some teaching sites to Prescott, to Tucson. Uh, we're wanting to expand to, to Flagstaff and other places like that around the state, and then perhaps even outside of the state, and perhaps to Albuquerque and other places throughout the Southwest. And you were the pastor at, you mentioned Desert Bible Right. Uh, up on Tatum Boulevard. I, yeah. I, I used to live really close to that mm -hmm. building, and I've seen it grow from a, a small building to add on and add on. It's, it's right. really come a long ways. But you were there for some time. 32 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's a lengthy, lengthy presence um, and made a big difference, I'm sure, an impact. So um, you, you also have made a couple of trucks outside the United States. Right. To Africa, Russia. Yeah, I've had the opportunity. To Are do those it. missionary missions or right. okay? I, I've done some leadership training uh, through the auspices of Campus Crusade for Christ, or what's known as Crew now, through their international leadership academies in Moscow, Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, training uh, ever since 1991, I think. Now, was that a branch of the original Bill Bright? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, it was a part of what they're doing internationally. Okay. And so it's been a part of being evangelistic crusades and, and meetings in Red Square, which is <laughs> which is sort of a, a wow. wild deal. And then work with people either came to faith or who were in faith, who had faith before that, but wanted to be a part of leadership. And then also doing some different outreaches to Africa. Uh, we've worked with the Watoto Children's Ministry, which is a phenomenal ministry out of Kampala, Uganda. Uh, in in caring for the orphans that are in that town, building homes for them. We've taken numerous groups from our church there. My wife and I have traveled with them to do that. Uh, We've also been involved with a ministry called uh, Mending the Soul. Dr. Steve Tracy from the seminary and his wife, Celesta, uh, are doing some incredible things with abuse recovery and training for people who are survivors of abuse as to how to, to help others. And we were in the Democratic Republic of Congo two years ago. It's not safe to go there right now, mm-hmm. and it wasn't really safe then either. Yeah. But uh, just those people are amazing, that the heroes of the faith, so to speak, to see beautiful Congolese people who have suffered horrific, unspeakable abuses, and yet they are going right back into the mix to care for other people. I mean, it's, it's, it's humbling, it's honoring, all those types of things to be there and to to work with them in this area. I had a guest on the rescuers not long ago, uh, former uh, women's uh, golf champion, mm-hmm. Betsy King, yeah. lives here in the Valley. And, and uh, she has now partnered with um, World Vision uh, to, to dig water wells and mm-hmm. bring uh, clean water to, uh, to communities. Right. Oh, there's so many needs, but there's also such a, a receptivity among so many of the people to the gospel and to following mm-hmm. Christ. They're they're absolutely again a beautiful people and and serious about their faith in Christ. And uh, it's it's just it's something that every year we're seeking ways to get back to Africa to do some things <laughs> like this. Yeah. I'm, I met a a a Methodist pastor from Kenya mm-hmm. at one time. And he was here in town, and uh, my wife and I had him over for lunch after he had spoke uh, that morning. And I asked him a, a pointed question, uh, what's, your, uh, what's your view of Christianity in America? Mm-hmm. His answer, what did he say? 3,000 miles wide and one inch deep. That's <laughs> what does that say? <laughs> the yeah, truth? that's that's a disconcerting uh, indictment. I'm afraid. I thought so at the time yeah. too. Um, so anyway, um, this age of COVID, as we we've been talking a little bit uh, before in uh, the show, and even casually before I invited you on the show, COVID has interrupted everything in the world, as we know. Yes. Yeah. It's turned everything upside down, and here we are in the second year of this thing, and we still don't know what the end looks like. Uh, vaccination, maybe, uh, if 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 enough go after that, and. My wife and I, we've had our first shot so Same far. Same here. We, yeah. were, we were over at State Farm Stadium at one thirty in the morning last <laughs> week. So, wow. uh, so we, we went to a Safeway and Fountain Hills to get it done. It sounds like you're smarter than we are. <laughs> it's just, just what they, they've said. So anyway, um, it's had a great impact uh, on churches across America and pastors across America. So let, let's talk about those two things right there. Um, you mentioned uh, in a casual conversation we've had that there are a, there's a, a number of churches that are just locking their doors. They're not right. going to make it or have already made that decision. Is that widespread? What are you seeing out there? 
Well, COVID has been a, a, a huge challenge. I'll put it that way. It hasn't taken our our Lord God by surprise by any stretch of the <laughs> no. imagination. But it is a game changer. I know when this first came up, I was scheduled to preach um, at my home church at Desert Springs. And the whole week before we were going back and forth, I was talking to the person who's the pastor there now, Caleb Campbell, who came to Christ in our ministry and then then took the senior pastor's role when I resigned. Mm. It's, it's been a great transition. Nice. But anyway, we were talking back and forth. Do we meet? Do we not? Do we do it virtually? Do we? You know, and ever since that time, I sort of feel like I and you and most pastors in particular have had their feet firmly planted in midair. Mm. It's been really difficult to plan. And so it's been when you don't meet together, it's a challenge. And the three things that I really do, Art, as far as my role, primary pillars that my work as far as church partnerships are built around are encouraging pastors. You know, with 40 years of ministry, I'm trying to say it can be done. Mm -hmm. Hang in there. Uh, Secondly is to network them with each other. Nobody really should be feeling like they're doing this on their own. Truly, it's a cliche right now, but we are in this together. And then thirdly is to resource them. And sometimes I can be that resource to give them assistance with their board, with their leadership, with teaching or preaching. Sometimes I need to point them to somebody else like, okay, you need counseling that's beyond my ability. How can we help you and your wife or your family get counseling Mm. when you don't have any place to us to turn? Uh, How can you um, get the the perspective on um, either if they're trying to find a place to meet, even resources as far as how do you go about that, uh, how do you do different coaching and consultation. But the effect of it has been this. It's been very challenging, not just with COVID. I think COVID has been the, the, the baseline, so to speak, and there certainly has been a tremendous amount of diversity and polarization within the church around COVID, do we meet, do we not meet? Uh, Do you follow CDP protocols? Uh, Is this a violation of our First Amendment rights? And you've got, you ask six people and you get 10 opinions on what to do. And so it's hard to lead in unity even around a a pandemic like we're in right now. And so I've seen pastors that have been castigated, you know, criticized, vilified for not meeting because they're simply trying to be responsible leaders in the midst of a pandemic. But they've been called gutless. They've been called, uh, I can't believe you're acquiescing and kowtowing to Mm. what's politically expedient or convenient and those types of things. And I know it hurts. It hurts deeply because what they're trying to do is say, look, we love our people and we love especially those that are in the more uh, vulnerable positions. And why would I do something it's in essence yeah. like it's putting a stumbling block in someone's <laughs> path, right. you know, which as a shepherd and as a pastor, you just don't want to do that. Yeah. And yet it comes at great cost with people that are criticizing not only the governor and not only the government, mm-hmm. but also those that are seeking to lead their people in a way that's responsible. And there's a noticeable difference uh, in the community th- that we're close to here. Uh, between non-denominational and denominational. Right. Uh, I happen to belong to a denominational that's been closed since for a year now. Mm-hmm. And that's no, right. And no site of opening. Talk about hard on a pastor, on the congregation. Now, we do, we do watch a stream every Sunday. Uh, that's fine. But there's not the community uh, 
togetherness. Right. And I, I will say, you know, some people have this mindset. I've, I got this all my life. People said, hey, it must be nice to work one day a week, you know, because <laughs> all they see is what's happening wow. on Sunday or Saturday That's night. That's what you teach Sunday at morning. the seminary, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> my father-in-law even used to kid me about that. I'd say, Jim, that's great. I just can't figure out which one day a week that is. Yeah. Uh, but most of the pastors that I know have worked harder during this season than before, despite the fact they're not physically meeting, it's meant they've had to pivot and have new delivery systems. Mm. You know, you've had to go harder into small groups. You've had to go harder into uh, productions. You've got to go harder into virtual presentations and those types of things, which I think in the long run are frankly going to be good. I think it's really something that's great for people that are either shut in, people that aren't able to be there, people that are seasonal visitors here in in Arizona because of our wonderful climate, Uh, but they can stay connected to a church that they've been a part of. But in the meantime, that wears thin. If you're not able to see people face-to-face, be with them, uh, there's just something that's really missing in that what we would say is fellowship, and it's truest it's the word, not just having a meal together, but genuinely doing life together. That's strained when you're only doing it virtually. And there's you can put up with almost anything for a short period of time, but when it goes on, and now, as you've already said, we're into our second year. We're beginning into that. That's a really, really inordinately long time. But I, I'd have to say this, and a lot of pastors have, have had the appropriate perspective, and that is, you know, the church around the world, not just in America, but the church around the world has had to find ways to function that, especially in repressive and um, environments, where they're not allowed to get together like the freedoms that we have. Right. And so the church has grown. It's flourished yeah. in places like China through house churches and through individual involvement and, and, and through service of others where even the government wants to repress that and hold it down. And so, again, um, that's great news. The church, it is good news. Yeah. And we can look at the difficulties and the challenges. That's the hardship. Or we can look at the fact that this one hasn't caught God by surprise. Secondly, his spirit was within his church. He is going to accomplish his purpose through his church. And this is an opportunity, actually, for us to to grow deeper, not just that one inch deep that you were talking about. (laughs) Yeah. So um, uh, you're familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I learned a, a little bend to Romans 8:28 from her mm-hmm. and her saying is God will allow something he hates in order to have something that he loves. That's right. Yeah, I mean you preach I'll turn the pages. That's that's yeah. that's a beautiful statement and yeah. she obviously understands that yes. experientially. Yep. Yep. So um so and and we we were also you and I have had conversations about just the pastors themselves. If it's a new pastor coming in, the lifespan may be, are they going to fight their way through this and become more mature pastors later? Or how's that affecting a new pastor coming into the world today? Well, I'll just, let me broaden that a little bit. I would say that one of the most vulnerable of churches, you mentioned churches that were closing, and I do know of two churches in the last three weeks that I've heard that are unfortunately going to need to close. Well, if a church is smaller, a church plant, it's a new, uh, and they don't have their own place to meet, Mm -hmm. or they are are dependent upon a school, and the school's not meeting, and the school's not letting anybody else meet, or maybe it's a business, and they can't meet anywhere. It's really a challenge. 
That's okay. Happens all the time. <laughs> I thought I had it on silent mode. Usually it's my time. producer, Jeremy. That <laughs> Well, yeah, it happens to me almost every time I preach that that happens, but that's another story. But anyway, um, where were we, Art? Oh, we're talking about just the churches and the challenges that are there. Uh, they're most vulnerable because I of, should have asked it a different way. Are there more pastors quitting okay. now than before? Well, because of the stresses, yeah. it's uh, pastoral ministry has always been hard. Yeah. It's always been a challenge. COVID has thrown a whole nother, it's a curveball, so to speak. Now, you can't hit a curveball, but it's hard. <laughs> uh, and so what it comes down to is a lot of times, I mean, you take, for instance, just to quantify that, Lifeway, Barna Ministries, some other things like that have estimated about 30% of pastors will not make it through COVID. Mm. They'll, they'll wave wow. the white flag and say, enough, I'm done, I'm through, I'll make my living some other way. And I assume that's a lot higher than normal I don't know what it normally is, yeah. but yes, I yeah. would think it is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always been tough. And, and like with any business or any entrepreneurial venture, uh, it's most are not going to make it past the first five years. Mm. Well, I think the same thing sort of true with churches, yeah. you know, for the same reasons about being people. Yeah. So there's just challenges that are there. And this, this certainly amplifies and exacerbates the whole situation. Mm. There's another part of your background that I, I'd like to uh, dive into a little bit here. And you, you've, you've had a great uh, tenured experience with Young Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about your experience and what, your involvement with Young Life. And are you still doing that? Or? Sure. Well, just in case people don't know what Young Life yeah. is, it's, it's really an outreach organization that started out um, toward high school students and it has broadened from that. Uh, it's built around several things, and that's contact work where you go and earn the right to be heard by going to campuses and, and watch, being there for students for ball games, for cheer practice, for drama things. Whatever they're involved in, it's engaging with them. And then it is a club where people come, and over the course of time they hear the good news of Jesus Christ love for them, uh, his death on the cross, resurrection from the dead. And then there's campaigners, which basically has to do with it, the Bible study or discipleship aspect of young life. Young life has broadened from high school to junior high to special needs kids to single moms, like to teenage moms uh, in what's called young lives. Uh, A very, very good friend of mine, Andy Hill, mm-hmm. I'll drop his name. Right. His daughter created that program. Really? Veronica. Well, it's it's phenomenal ministry. So my wife and I started where our first exposure to Young Life was when we were in seminary in Dallas, and we were volunteer leaders in a couple of uh, high schools in the North Phoenix area. When we came out here, uh, I was a youth pastor at Camelback Bible. We helped get involved in in resurrecting a Young Life club at Camelback High School and got involved on, on committee with Urban Young Life. Uh, you and I both know Henry Rojas. Henry yes. was one of the original Phoenix Gorilla, Phoenix Suns Gorilla. I love Henry. He's a br- he's an incredible guy, good brother in Christ. And so I got to know him that way, uh, and and just involved. We're presently involved on committee with uh, starting a Young Life Club at Arizona Christian University, and that may sound funny. What's an outreach? But there's so many uh, different people that are coming to ACU right now that don't know Christ. Yet, so there is an outreach component, but there's also a lot of Christian students there from many minorities. And Caucasian students are now understanding the minority at ACU. And uh, it's a matter of trying to help develop leadership for urban clubs through those believing students. And Arizona is also home to one of the best 
young life camps, right? Oh, yeah. Lost, Lost Canyon, Canyon is yeah. outstanding. Uh, but it hasn't been used now for <laughs> this will be the second summer, unless it opens. Well, it, they are yeah. using it, oh, actually. They are. Good. Yeah, they actually are. I thought Jeremy was trying to tell me something. Okay. <laughs> He's staring at me really bad. Um, I have a question for you. Shoot. Uh, at, you know, COVID, at some point, we're going to be looking at it in the rearview mirror. We don't know exactly when that is. and uh, but But try to think... Uh, there's a lot of stories being written now about the COVID era. With, after COVID, what's, what's your opinion? What, what do you think you'll be doing after COVID? What will I be doing? Yeah. I'm be doing the same thing same I'm thing. doing now, just different ways. Yeah. I mean, I've been limited in how much personal space I can have with people. Uh, but I'm still going to be meeting with pastors to encourage them, network them, and resource them. And welcoming new pastors. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a question. Good. Now, the the education at the seminary is a full education? Is it just at the master's level, doctorate level? or We have multiple master's level courses, yeah. depending on what the need is. Because I know you've been working on out. one. What's that? You're working on one in particular, I think. Uh no, I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm already educated, but I'm beyond my intelligence. <laughs> well, I meant I meant a new program that you're introducing. Right? We are. We're we're introducing some new <laughs> things, but we have multiple master's degree programs. We also have uh, a doctor of ministry program at the seminary and doing some things there. And what you're referring to is our ministry apprentice alliance. There we go. I couldn't we're couldn't think of the local name of churches it. Yeah. and especially providing some of this offsite education that I mentioned before in Tucson and in Prescott and hopefully soon in, Pre- in Flagstaff. Rick, time flies when we're having fun. It does, yeah. We're out of time. <laughs> but it's been so great to have uh, Rick Everd on the program this morning. And God bless you for all you're doing Thanks, at Phoenix Andy. Seminary and beyond. The Rescuers Radio Show airs every Thursday at 530 on Faith Talk 1360. And, and faithtalk1360.com. You can find the show uh, in podcast form. We have 40 programs in the podcast right now, and it's growing every week. Uh, Rescuers Radio Show. At 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.